As you noted, we picked up here, read verses 17 through 42 of, of chapter five here in the book of Acts. And what I want to do today is I want to just, uh, just sort of highlight um, the verses that we read together, just looking at some, some different points. And, and what we have here as we come to the end of the fifth chapter, we're, we're coming um, now to kind of the, the focus being uh, taken off Jerusalem. And, and that's going to happen over the next few chapters. So uh, we've, we've been in Jerusalem. We've been focusing on the, the ministry and the advancement of the church in Jerusalem. But of course, as the, as the book goes on, um, the, the whole uh, point of the story is to talk about how uh, the gospel beginning in Jerusalem went out from there to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, so we're, we're moving out from there. We'll be in Jerusalem still a little bit, but um, just kind of looking at the overall ministry is um, beginning to, to sort of fade here. And we'll be focusing on some different things as we go forward. But the, the point in many ways of the, the book of Acts itself. And, and one of the things that I want to emphasize as we make our way through it is the um, in, un, unstoppable nature of the gospel. And so this is what we're going to highlight today, just to see how, how the gospel continues to go forward despite the opposition, despite the setbacks, despite the uh, discouragement, despite the sin, uh, all of those forces that are so often working against the advancement of the gospel uh, by God's grace. It continues to advance. And um, that's why we're here today. We're here today because the gospel has advanced all the way uh, to us today. Uh, but it advanced because of the, the faithfulness of God and also because of the commitment of men and women. And so let's, let's keep that in mind. And just as they were faithful men and women serving the Lord, preserving the gospel and passing it to the next generation, so we need to also be faithful uh, men and women uh, preserving the gospel and passing it to the next generation so the, the work can carry on until the Lord returns. So let me just remind you that uh, as we pick up here, this is the second time that the apostles have been arrested. Now, the first time, it seems that only Peter and John were arrested. Now, it seems like all of the apostles were arrested, even though Peter is still the kind of the voice, the, the spokesman. Um, yet the word apostles seems to indicate that it, uh, if not all of them, at least um, many of them were. And there would be um, those other um, 10 beside Peter and John at this point. So they've been arrested now. And um, we're, we're going to look at the story, you know, uh, and see what happens from this point. But the first thing I want you to note is that the opposition to them was um, what you might call state-sponsored opposition. So this these were powerful forces that were against them. It was the high priest and the sect of the Sadducees. Um, the Sadducees were the uh, really politically 
minded leaders at the time. They were, they were uh, the priests were from the Sadducees, uh, but they were very much more uh, power brokers than they were spiritual. They, they were not really spiritual at all. They, they were all about power. And so with these men, you have, um, in a sense, you have the religious establishment and the powers of the state combined together. So they had this, this you know, significant authority to uh, persecute, to prosecute, to uh, oppose, and, and you know, potentially to even stop uh, the work from advancing. And remember, as I pointed out before, this is the same group of people that arrested Jesus, falsely tried and condemned him, and then had him crucified. And so th- these are the forces that are up against the, the mission at this point and the apostles. So all of that to say, nothing is new under the sun. And what I want us to see as we go through these different points today is that we can find parallels to this stuff uh, all, all around us in the world today. It's, it's not anything new uh, or it's not anything that's just relegated to ancient history when these kinds of things happened. Uh, this type of thing still happens. But despite the fact that there still is opposition and sometimes even state-sponsored opposition, despite that, the gospel continues to advance. And sometimes when we're faced with strong opposition, sometimes God actually divine, uh, divinely intervenes in the situation as we see happened in the story here. So the apostles are taken and arrested. They're put in the, the prison and notice what happens next. Verse 19 says, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. So here we have divine intervention. God, God stepping in and overruling supernaturally. Please let's not forget that God still works supernaturally. You know, sometimes I think we make the mistake of we read about these kinds of things here in the the biblical text. And we just, we seem to automatically think like, oh yeah, you know, back then there, there were angels that did things and there were supernatural things and miracles and all of that. But, but all that happened way back then. But the truth of the matter is, uh, these kinds of things still happen today. And we should not be uh, surprised by that. We certainly should not be unbelieving in regard to that. We should recognize that uh, even today, God will divinely intervene in uh, our circumstances at times. And especially if we are uh, seeking to advance the gospel and we come up against opposition, we can expect at times divine intervention, supernatural things. Here these guys are, they're in jail and an angel comes and releases them. And as we read over the verses there, you know, isn't it interesting that um, the high priest, then they, they gather to decide what they're going to do with the men. Uh, they have no idea that these guys have been released. They send the guards to get them and to bring them so they can try them. And the guards come back and say, um, well, we went there. Uh, the, the doors were locked and the guards were posted. But when we opened the, the cell, nobody was in it. 
So here we see it, it's obviously clearly a supernatural thing that has happened. And again, these kinds of things still happen. They happen today. And so let's not just relegate this to, um, well, you know, that's the way it used to work, but let's remember and recognize that um, God still works in these kinds of ways today. Now, as we look at the men themselves, the apostles here, we see that they were fearless men and we see that they were faithful men. Now, when the angel releases them, what does he do? He says, go back to the temple and continue to preach all the words of this life. So basically what the angel is telling them to do is go back to where they arrested you and, and just resume what you were doing. Now, you know, maybe I would have said to the angel, um, you think we should lay low for a while? Or uh, maybe we ought to find another spot uh, where we could carry on the ministry. But the angel sends them right back to where they were and they go right back and they resume what they were doing. And we see in these men at this point, we see that they were, they were fearless and they were faithful. And let me say this, that for the gospel to continue to advance, it takes courageous people. It takes people who aren't afraid to be rejected. It takes people who aren't afraid to be ridiculed. It takes people who aren't afraid uh, to even be uh, prosecuted or persecuted. And we, we can't overlook that element. Um, God has chosen to do the work of the kingdom through partnering with people. Now, obviously, God could do this completely independent of people. And, uh, you know, it seems like it would, the job would get done much more efficiently and much more quickly. Uh, but for whatever reason, God has chosen to use human beings um, in this great project of saving the world. And since God has chosen that it work that way, then obviously there have to be people that are going to cooperate and there have to be people who are faithful and fearless because inevitably we're going to come up against opposition. We're, we're going to meet resistance at some point if we are seriously seeking to advance the cause of Christ. That, that's just a given. There's no escaping it. And so if we're fearful, if we're cowardly, then nothing's going to happen. Things aren't going to move forward. So we have to step out in faith and we have to step out fearlessly and courageously. But we see that that is indeed what these men did. Now, as I said, we're, we're looking at what was happening back in those days. But let's not forget that this has been pretty much the story of the church, not just in the very beginning, as recorded for us in the book of Acts, but on through the, the following history, up through the first few centuries of the church, and, and then just on and on and on throughout the long history of the church, right up to this very day. 
Let me quote to you from one writer. He said, the devil has never given up the attempt to destroy the church by force. Under Nero, Christians were imprisoned and executed, including probably Paul and Peter. Domitian oppressed Christians. He was another Roman emperor uh, who refused to pay him the divine honors he demanded. Under him, John was exiled to Patmos. Marcus Aurelius, believing that Christianity was dangerous and immoral, turned a blind eye to serve local outbreaks, to severe local outbreaks of mob violence. Then in the third century, what had so far been sporadic became systematic. Under Decius, thousands died, including Fabian, Bishop of Rome, for refusing to sacrifice to the imperial name. The last persecuting emperor before the conversion of Constantine was Diocletian. He issued four edicts, which were intended to stamp out Christianity altogether. He ordered churches to be burned, scriptures to be confiscated, clergy to be tortured, and Christian civil servants to be deprived of their citizenship and if stubbornly unrepentant, executed. Still today, especially in some Marxist, Hindu, and Muslim countries, the church is often harassed, but we need not fear for its survival. Tertullian, addressing the rulers of the Roman Empire, cried out, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. So this is the story of the advancement of the gospel. And it's taken, as I said, uh, courageous men in order for it to be advanced. Now, the next thing, the fourth thing I want us to notice is how, again, God raises up uh, assistance. First, we see that he sends the angel to deliver them from the jail. But now we see that God raises up assistance from a, from a completely uh, unlikely source. And the assistance here comes in the form of this man, Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel is part of the council. The council was divided into the two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the uh, liberal, political, power brokers, uh, the Pharisees were, in, in some senses, the opposite. They, they were power brokers as well, but they were conservative. And they were theologically conservative. And so here's this man, Gamaliel. And as the, the, the Sadducees are enraged, as, as Peter once again reminds them that the blood of this man, Jesus Christ, is upon your heads, uh, they're, they're incensed, and it says that they were furious and they sought to kill them. But then Gamaliel comes with the voice of reason and basically says, no, you don't want to do that. Now, Gamaliel, just so we're a little bit familiar with who he is, he was one of the great um, religious leaders of the day. He was... Uh, one of the great rabbis. He was the grandson of a very famous rabbi named Hillel. Now at the time of Jesus, so during the time of the gospels, uh, there were two prevailing views in the land of Israel uh, when it came to understanding the faith. And they were the views of Shammai and Himel, uh, Hillel. And Shammai was the more uh, 
strict and conservative one. Hillel was the, the more lenient one. So his view was the more popular one. So Hillel is the, the extremely popular rabbi. He's dead by now, but his teaching is, is what has prevailed uh, amongst the Jews. And Gamaliel is his grandson, and he's carrying on in the tradition of Hillel. Now, not only that, but Gamaliel was also the teacher of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus, of course, is Paul the apostle. But before Paul became the apostle, remember, he was Saul of Tarsus. And he tells us that he was brought up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. So at the time that this incident occurs, uh, Saul is still a student of Gamaliel because Saul's conversion is yet in the future. We haven't come uh, to that in the story yet. But, but this man, Gamaliel, was known for his uh, moderation and he was known for his wisdom. So he speaks a, a word of advice and basically tells the, the Sadducees uh, not to follow through with uh, putting these guys to death, but just to know that if this um, movement was of men, it would, it would fizzle out. But if it was of God, he said, you don't want to be fighting against God if this is of God. Now, the main point that I want to make here and drawing your attention to this is how there are times when God will bring uh, even the most unlikely uh, people alongside uh, what he's doing to help uh, the advancement of it. And, and this has happened over and over again, where you see in places, you see like on the one hand, you've got the, you know, the religious leaders opposing the work, but then you see this other one who's coming alongside and saying, hey, now wait a second, you know, uh, we need to be careful here. And he uh, distracts them from their uh, intended purpose of killing them. And yet you would have thought that Gamaliel would not have had advice opposing their plan, but you thought that he probably would have been in agreement with them. And so even today, we find these kinds of things happening. You know, I've, I've heard stories of um, ministry that's gone on in, in really, really difficult places, like say in, in uh, slums in some of the cities of South America, in, in many of those slums, like in Brazil, for example, um, those, those slums, which house hundreds of thousands of people, are, are usually run and operated by, by gangsters. And they kind of control the, the whole thing there. And uh, I've heard a number of stories of how uh, missionaries have gone into these places with the gospel and how the kind of like the slumlords uh, have at times protected them. You know, when maybe they would receive a threat, like, hey, if you come in here, we're going to kill you next time. Uh, then, you know, these other criminals, they're all criminals, but the other ones step in. And for some strange and unknown reason, they take it upon themselves to become the protectors of the missionaries. And this has happened numerous times, and it still goes on today. But it just shows us that God is able to raise up support, support or assistance or, or anything that's necessary for the, the gospel to advance. Even using sometimes people who would normally be opposed 
to the gospel and might even still be opposed to it in one sense, but for some reason they're, they're sympathetic. God does that. He still does that today. And so we can have the confidence that as we're seeking to advance the gospel of Jesus, that even if necessary, totally unlikely persons will rise up in support of what God is doing. Now, these men, remember previously when they were arrested, they were warned not to speak in the name of Jesus, but they weren't um, punished. They were just warned and then they were released. Now, this time they go beyond simply warning them. This time they actually do um, punish them in that they take them and they beat them. And so verse 40, and they agreed with Gamaliel. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So far from having the effect that they expected the beating to have, uh, undoubtedly they thought, okay, we're going to beat them this time. And in those days, if you received a beating, it was 49 lashes, or excuse me, 39 lashes. And um, this was a strong deterrent because who in the world would want to have this kind of thing happen on any sort of a regular base? Uh, but these guys were not deterred. As a matter of fact, far from being intimidated, it says that they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. How could this be? Well, these men heard Jesus say these words, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These guys heard Jesus say those very words. And now they're living out what Jesus essentially prophesied would happen. And they're rejoicing that they get this opportunity. And you know, here's the deal. How could they rejoice? It's because they knew who the Lord was. And they knew that he had suffered for them. And Paul, when he's, he's talking to Timothy, uh, his young helper and protege, and he says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, um, make a good confession just as Jesus Christ made a good confession before Pontius Pilate. He says, Timothy, there's a, there's a day coming when they're going to call you uh, before the authorities and they're going to they're going to ask you to renounce your faith. Timothy, make a good confession and remember the confession of Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate. So that's what they did. They looked to Jesus. 
Jesus suffered for us. Jesus went all the way. Jesus gave his life on the cross. And so for them, it was like, Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we could suffer a little bit. Lord, you suffered for us. Thank you that we could just share a little bit in that suffering. That was the attitude that they had. But of course, that attitude was born out of their absolute conviction that Jesus was real and that everything he uh, you know, said and did and, and promised was, was all true. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, um, you know, when we are shunned or we are mocked or we are ridiculed or we are maybe even, uh, you know, persecuted in some way, how, how do we react? Are we at that point thinking, you know, well, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to do this anymore because after all, look at this kind of treatment that I'm getting. Or are we just understanding that this is what happens when you're a follower of Christ in this world? And are we able to say, Lord, I rejoice in this, in this because I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm being allowed to, to experience a little bit, a, a very tiny bit of what you experienced for me, because that, that's the reality. It, we read in Hebrews that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, but he did it all for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? It was the joy of saving me and you. It was the joy of, of us being brought into a relationship with God. It was the joy of, of being able to give us eternal life so that we could live and reign with him forever. That was the joy that was set before him. It was for that that he endured the cross. He despised the shame, but he endured the cross. And so likewise with these apostles, they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he said this. He said, it is granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer shame for his name. Notice those words. It has been granted to you. You know, when something is granted to you, it's, it's like something is given to you uh, as an honor. And that's exactly how they saw it. And that's exactly how we are to see it as well. Now, we see that this whole experience really did not phase them. It did not even deter them slightly from their, uh, their mission because the final verse says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus the Christ. So what do they say? Don't speak in this man's name any longer. What did they do? They went out and continued to do the very thing that God had called them to do. As Peter reminded them earlier, and he had told them the first time around, it, we have to obey God rather than men. And they continued to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. This is the mission of the church. This is your mission 
as a believer. This is my mission as a believer. This is our mission together as the church. It's to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Without going into a lot of detail because we're pressed for time this morning, but you know, listen, the, the reality is Jesus is the answer to all of the issues that we face in life. Jesus is the answer. He's the, he's the final word on everything. So as we preach him, as we teach people about him, about who he is and, and about what he's done and about what he's going to do, this is how everything changes in a person's life. This is how hope is imparted. This is how transformation occurs. That, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do for those who uh, have put their trust in him. But for those that have yet to put their trust in him, we need to let people know, listen, uh, the answer is not what you think. The answer is in Christ. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the true vine. He's everything that we need. And that's our mission. And God help us not to be distracted from that because, listen, this is always the case, but it's, it's definitely the case right now. There's so many different issues and things happening all around us uh, that are, are tempting people to get off point and not to preach and teach Jesus, but to preach and teach anything and everything else. And we have to resist that. We have to guard against that because it's not about um, the things that we're so often distracted by if we disconnect them from Jesus. He's he's the answer. You know, I was talking to a young man the other day and he said, um, he was asking me a question about um, issues of inequality and, you know, racism and, and things like that. He was asking me, you know, what, what do you think about that? Is that a reality? Is it an issue in the church? And um, I said, yeah, you know, it is a reality. It is an issue in the church. And, and so he said, well, what do we do about it? And I said, well, listen, this is what we do about it. We don't really need to write a blog about it. Why don't we just live the way Jesus told us to live? Let, let's love each other. Let's exalt Christ Let's recognize that we are all the children of God through our faith in Jesus. And let's just show the world a better way as we follow Jesus. And he listened and he goes, yeah, I like that. That's good. But you know, that's what we need to do. It, we need to keep bringing people back to Jesus. We need to point to Jesus. You know, this past week, as, as many of you know, uh, the president um, made a, a proclamation or recognized um, Jerusalem. Is it interesting? We're reading about Jerusalem here. Our story takes place in Jerusalem, and our our news feed is full of uh, you know things about Jerusalem this week. Kind of interesting, isn't it? So. Of course, there's all kinds of controversy and there's differences of opinion about, you know, should he have done that or shouldn't he have recognized uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel? You know, all of that. And what is the significance? And does this mean that the Lord's coming, you know, really soon? Uh, I, I don't know about that. But here's what I do know. 
this kind of a thing, it brings our attention back to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, according to Jesus, is his city. Jesus said it's the city of the great king, and he's referring to himself. So you know what it does? It really brings us back to Jesus. As, as we have this uh, issue of Jerusalem kind of, you know, put before us again, it put, put before everybody, it is an opportunity itself, uh, you know, not to preach Jerusalem, or, or not to even preach Israel, but it's an opportunity to remind people about Jesus Christ. I read an interesting uh, letter that was sent to the president from the spiritual leaders of Jerusalem, from the patriarch of the Orthodox Church and from the uh, archdeacon or bishop of the Catholic Church and a, a number of different um, as they refer to themselves, the spiritual leaders of Jerusalem, uh, they wrote the president letter basically disapproving of his actions. And it was interesting in the letter, they were, they were kind of spelling out their plan. They said, you know, we've got a plan for Jerusalem and this is our vision for it. And this is what we see with it. And as I read that, I thought, wow, that's so interesting. Yes, man has a plan, but God has a plan for Jerusalem too. And what is that plan? That plan, God said it in Psalm 2. I have set my servant upon my holy hill of Zion. He's talking about his anointed. I have set my anointed, my Christ, upon the holy hill of Zion. So all, all of that to say that if we see clearly, this is a reference point to Jesus. And let's keep ourselves focusing on Jesus. Let's keep centered on Jesus. Let's study because they taught Jesus. Let's proclaim because they preached Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and take every opportunity we get to let people know that Jesus really is the answer. He is the answer to what you're looking for, even though you don't know it, even though you don't realize it or think it. He really is. He's the one. See, all of the issues and problems, whether they're international or whether they're personally residing there in the heart or the mind of individual people, they're all answered by Christ. And so just as these men were not detoured, but continued to faithfully teach and preach Jesus Christ. May we do that. And if we as God's people personally and collectively center our lives on Jesus Christ, God's work in us and through us will be unstoppable for now and for the generations to come. So Lord, help us to keep the main thing, the main thing. And Lord, we know that you are the center of everything. And Lord, may we understand that. May we be clear about that. And Lord, we thank you that when we are attentive to the, the proclamation 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that even if it's powerful forces, even if it's state-sponsored opposition, Lord, you divinely intervene. You can send an angel to sort that out. Lord, you can raise up from an unlikely place uh, a voice of reason. Thank you, Lord, for all of those things that are true. And Lord, we also see here that this is a cooperative effort, Lord. You've chosen to use people. So help us, like them, to be fearless and to be faithful. Come what may, so that the gospel can continue to go forward and people's lives can be forever changed. That we pray in Jesus' name, amen.